welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Touchdown Bombers! Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is anchor for CBS Sports HQ, Jeremy St. Louis. Jeremy, I really appreciate the time you have to be on today's episode. I'm so excited to get going. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me to join you. So you've traveled down to to the Southern US. You're living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida right now, but your origins with working on television originate way back to here, the heart of the content, Winnipeg, Manitoba, with a very famous, for its time, national soccer show, Fox Soccer Report, shot here based out of Winnipeg. I remember watching it as a kid with my brothers and and my friends. It was super enjoyable to always catch all the highlights and all the work that you guys and the, the rest of the crew did. Talk about how you navigated your journey in terms of what made you want to be on television and how you ended up at Fox Soccer Report. Well, I mean, it was really serendipity. I was doing my bachelor's degree. I was chasing a bachelor of science degree. I was originally planning to be a science teacher, but then uh, I had a, you know, I had a dinner with someone who um, had been trying to get my father to do radio commercials for the longest time. Uh, But my dad had a bit of a stuttering problem when he was young. So he was very self-conscious about it. We were having dinner and this guy said, well, Jeremy, you've got the same kind of voice as your dad. Would you be interested in doing some radio? And I thought about it and I thought, I mean, I was in university at the time. So I was in my third year. I was like, whatever. I mean, I'll do anything for money. What do you need me to do? And so he said, well, call this number at that time, uh, take a little voice test and we'll see. And so I did that. Uh, They came back to me and said, yeah, we've got work for you in Toronto. I was going to school in Thunder Bay at the time. And they said, we've got work for you in Toronto. But the way that the caveat kind of worked is that what I would make is what it would cost me to get there and back. So I just thought this is a zero sum game and, you know, I want to make money. And then I started thinking about journalism and, you know, sports journalism. And then I ended up graduating with my degree and then ended up going to state in Calgary to, uh, you know, to do my journalism. And then from there, I mean, it was basically all over Hell's Half Acre. Uh, as I kind of made my way through, I started in radio in Brandon, uh, doing radio news there. I went to Yorkton, Saskatchewan to do my first sports television job. I did sports and weather there. Then I transitioned to Medicine Hat, Alberta, where I was a sports anchor there for two years and then made my way back to Winnipeg um, in 19, no, it was 2000, 2000, made my way back to Winnipeg as a community uh, events and weather uh, specialist at Global Television in Winnipeg. And then during my first year there, Joe Piscucci came to me and said, hey, we're looking at doing this new sports, international sports program. Would you be interested in doing it? Because I know you have a sports background. And I said, sure. I mean, I'll, I'd love to get back into sports. And then that's what launched Global Sports Link on Fox Sports World Canada. And then that show over time uh, morphed into what you and your brothers and friends know as the Fox Soccer Report. It went through many different incarnations. It was Global Sports Link. Then I think it was Fox Sports World Report. Then it was Fox Soccer Report. And that's kind of where it that's kind of where it ended. It started as a half hour show, I think five days a week, and then it went to seven and then it was an hour. And then, you know, Fox in the U S picked it up and started showing it. And then, so, you know, the opportunity to do a sports show was something that had been, you know, on my radar when I graduated from journalism school, I actually had set the goal for myself to be on a national sports show within 10 years, within a decade. That's what I kind of gave myself to kind of, you know, learn what I needed to learn and hopefully, you know, make the jumps I needed to make in order to get 
uh, to the level that I wanted to be at. And by the time I got to Global Sports Link, that was year seven, and I was on that show. And so, you know, I had achieved my goals. And then from there, it was just about growing the product, uh, growing myself, growing the product, and, you know, uh, working my way through through all of that. And it was, you know, uh, uh, what you guys saw on television on that side of it, uh, the enjoyment that you got out of it, we got that enjoyment as well. It was uh, it was a fantastic experience, and it's something that, you know, if that's if that's what I'm known for for the rest of my career, that's not a bad thing to be known for. And especially even just talking about the things that you did in order to get there, just a multitude of places across Western Canada, and it really illustrates the summary of the journey that it takes to get to a national television show, even during that time it's no different now maybe the digital component as you're more familiar with today has become the most prominent form of consuming media for most viewers obviously live events for sports will still win people still watch on television but in terms of consuming content the highlight shows have become archaic in a way and now people are consuming content through tiktok or instagram or watching on streaming devices on their apps on, on through mobile apps on, on uh, tablets or phones, that's become super popular during that time. You guys were using VHS tapes towards the end of their life and all the sorts of different manual functions of television. What was the most challenging thing that you guys had to deal with when creating and and compiling highlights and producing Fox soccer report? How did you, kind of like learn through the different uh, difficulties that you guys had to face? Well, I mean, a lot of the time, uh, you know, and, and, and this is the beauty of television is that you don't know what it takes to get something, a program like that to air. And that, you know, you kind of equate television to, you know, a duck uh, on, you know, on the lake, right? All smooth on top, but below the surface, you know, the feet are just going. And that really is a perfect summary of what we were doing on Fox Soccer Report because, the hardest part for us was getting the highlights, uh, cutting the highlights, and then trying to decide what we wanted to put in and what we wanted to keep out. I mean, we really wanted to put as much in as we could. And I remember some weekends, boy, whoa, we would have, I mean, we actually had to, we actually capped the amount of highlights that we would be responsible for as individual anchors over the course of an hour long show to 10. So we would do 10 games each is what we would be looking at. So you're looking at 20 sets of highlights within an hour, which is a lot of highlights. And we were responsible for cutting those and, um, you know, like writing them out, making sure that, you know, we had the information correct. And, and then on top of that, writing your lead-ins for the different, you know, the different highlights or the different games and, you know, doing boards, you know, like here's what's coming up this week or, you know, the standings boards and all that stuff, or the kind of, the minutia around the highlights that kind of, you know, puts everything kind of brings everything together. And so I would say that for us, the hardest part was just getting everything done, getting everything done in time to get a show to air because we wanted to pack so much in there because the respect that we had for the audience, I mean, the soccer audiences we learned over time was so passionate. I mean, you mispronounce the syllable of a name and you're getting an email you know, and they're letting you know, and, and those early days were really, really rough because our pronunciations just were not there. I mean, we were literally calling consulates, you know, to, to get pronunciations of, of, of names because you, you just have no idea. 
but for us, I mean, really just getting that stuff to air some days is, uh, you know, was tough. There was, I remember some days I, one of the, one of my favorite guys to work with was Carlos Machado and Carlos and I had a very, you know, we worked really well together and we had a good uh, rapport on the air and Carlos was such a great guy. He's just, just a real, real good guy. And, but Carlos had been around for a while. And, and so when we had like really tough days, uh, Carlos before the show, you know, we'd always have like 45 minutes to an hour before the show where we kind of cut everything off and just said, okay, now's the time to get ready for the show. You print your scripts, you do your makeup, you get dressed, you know, and then you kind of just get ready for what, for what's about to come because unlike, you know, a lot of jobs in television, you've got to be your best at the end of your shift, not at the beginning, at the end, because that's when your show is. And so, you know, over the course of a day, you get pretty run down and, you know, you get kind of tired and fatigued and whatnot. And I remember some of those harder days, Carlos would just open up the bottom drawer of his desk. He'd pull out a bottle of the Balvenie scotch, he'd kind of put it on his desk. We'd all get some styrofoam cups and we'd have a little nip before we go on television and then go on and do the show. And the show was always much lighter uh, after you've had a little bit of scotch before you go on the air. But uh, like I said, most of the time it was just getting that stuff to air was the was the hardest part for us and overcoming some of the infrastructure issues that we had to deal with. But over time, I mean, it got easier because, you know, as you mentioned, things went digital. We weren't necessarily dealing with tape as much in those final days uh, when I was there. So that made it certainly a lot easier to kind of, you know, to kind of get that show to air. But in those early days, man, it was it was no joke. It was no joke. It was a lot of hard work. And it's interesting you mentioned the part about drinking a bit of scotch. I think there was an article that was released by the New York Post or TMZ or one of those media outlets talking about Joe Buck and Troy Aikman drinking tequila shots in between games. And people are like, well, no wonder. And then taking the random screenshots of Joe Buck's face and or Troy Aikman's face, making and them looking looking weird or making weird gestures, et cetera. And, but it's not to say that they're the only people that have done it. And because they're in the biggest spotlight, they're the, they're the ones that are going to have most people looking at them, but you're right. It is so difficult. And, and I've even talked to some people in the sports media industry and asked them about their original goals. And sometimes people said that they have changed and that they veered away from television. Or even when Derek and I were doing our episode, he talked about the late nights that turned into early mornings and the repetition that, that, that comes with that. And then eventually the life decisions that cross paths with this the style of career that people are like, okay, well, I can't work from 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. anymore. So did you find that as time went on that it became a bit difficult to deal with the schedule or how, how have you found you've adapted to maybe the very weird sets of times that you're going to be working within television or radio? Well, I mean, I was, you know, I was fortunate in that, uh, you know, my, my wife at the time, my ex-wife now, Terry Lee, worked on the program with me. And so, you know, I mean, we, we spent time together at work. So, I mean, we were, you know, we didn't necessarily have those same kind of life issues that, you know, someone like Derek and, 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 and his wife would have and working in kind of two different areas. Um, so that kind of helped a little bit. That was pluses and minuses, obviously. Um, but I think that for me, yeah, there were some really tough days, but at the end of the day, I mean, I really love it. I mean, I really love what I do. And I consider myself very, very fortunate with the opportunities that I've had and the things that I've been able to do throughout the course of my career. I mean, yeah, I had a great time at Fox Soccer Report, but uh, I mean, 
without lying, I mean, I, I've, I've been able to do some really great things since my time at Fox Soccer Report. And, you know, that, that helped to prepare me for those kind of things. And yeah, I've worked some super long hours. I've done overnights. I get what Derek's saying. And Derek and I are in, you know, we're in regular contact. I mean, I talk to him, you know, you know, usually once every couple of months, we'll have a little chat. So I understand that. I understand, I understand the life issues that can be that. But for me, I mean, I really love what I do. So I, I'm, I'm just, yeah, it kind of gets to you at, at certain points, but I love it. I love it. And so if I have to do it for 12 hours, if I have to do it for 14 hours a day, I'll do it. I'll have fun doing it. I'll make it fun, but I can understand how it can, you know, can get to other people. And obviously work-life balance is so important and, and you know, it truly is. And I, and I understand that too. And when you're not happy at work, the rest of your life's going to, it's going to suffer. So, you know, it's so important. And in television, it's so difficult. I often say that it it always kind of evens itself out. You're going to have times where you're doing big events like a world cup, or, you know, if you're, if you're on a trip doing something somewhere where you're going to work a lot of hours, but then down the line, eh, you're only going to work for three or four hours in a day. And with Fox soccer report, it used to actually work like that. We actually had a rotation where, you know, you would have, anchors on the desk you weren't necessarily anchoring all the time you would do what we call a reporting shift which is you know you would you would basically cut highlights you'd write something for the other anchors you'd kind of take care of some things you'd maybe voice a package or you know put put together a piece i used to do the mls segment once a week that was kind of my reporting shift i would do the mls segment and then kind of round things out and that was more of a it was a, like a lighter shift of sorts where you kind of you know you took you had a more leisurely kind of day and and those kind of days helped to kind of, you know, because of the fact the show was so labor intensive in terms of getting the show to air, that that actually helped with kind of, you know, just allowing you to kind of pull back and just kind of relax a little bit, enjoy the process itself and kind of help out the other anchors too. And that's, you know, that's something that's happened throughout the course of, of my, of my career, even after Fox soccer report going to be in sports was the same type of thing. Being sports was Fox soccer report prepared me for what being sports was because being sports was, just as labor intensive and just as difficult, albeit in a different sort of way um, than Fox Soccer Report was. And and yeah, I mean, work-life balance, it can get you if you don't love it, that's for sure. I'm fortunate in that I love it and I've had the opportunity to do some really great things. That's an important aspect of doing the type of job that television requires if you're anchoring or you're reporting. Gotta love it. And you're right. Work, work-life balance can definitely be difficult for people to find in more niche jobs or jobs that maybe aren't as commonplace. You know, you would come across such as working on television or working in sports. So what then, what is it specifically that you love so much about working on television or working in the sports media industry? You know, I right now with CBS Sports HQ, I mean, I anchor on two different programs there. So the morning program that we do is highlights based. You're getting a lot of highlights from overnights and stuff. And it's a digital program. So, you know, to your point about the fact that people are consuming things digitally, that's why CBS Sports launched CBS Sports HQ. It's basically a 24-7 digital sports network that runs exactly like ESPN or Fox Sports or CBS Sports uh, sports network, you know, it's, it's, it's a 24 seven sports network. So you're getting highlights in the morning, the highlight show, which I absolutely love. I love doing highlights because you just get to have so much fun with highlights and you get to kind of, you know, you get to kind of play a little bit. That's the way I look at it. You get to kind of play. And then in the afternoon, the afternoon show that we do, which, which, you know, goes at noon Eastern time is more of a, 
it's more of an issues type of show where we're doing interviews with analysts. We're not doing highlights of any kind. We're doing interviews with analysts about, you know, different aspects of sport, a lot of NFL stuff, you know, we're doing soccer, um, you know, baseball, hockey, you name it. I mean, I've interviewed pretty much everybody. I mean, I was interviewing NASCAR guys last year. So, you know, you get the chance to kind of sharpen your interview skills uh, as well, you know, uh, doing, doing something like that. So, it's just, you know, you, you get to, I just, I just like to, to have fun and, and, and the variety is what really helps to be able to keep you on your toes. And so I, I find that that, you know, that is kind of what, what I love um, certainly a lot about it. It's just, you get that variety that allows you to work on a number of different aspects of, you know, what rounds you out as a, you know, as a journalist and as a sports journalist in this type of career. That's really cool that CBS had launched their HQ digital platform because it provides the same content that people are looking for, but through the medium that people are now looking towards related to watching sports, sharing highlights. And yeah. Sorry. And, and just, and just with the, with that HQ thing, one of the things I want to point out is like you talk about, you know, things that are happening uh, instantaneously and you're able to just get highlights like right away. So uh, this week, for example, what HQ has is the model that they use is that, so you can see it on your phone, you can see it on your tablet, you can see it on your Roku, Apple TV, you can do all of that. You can watch it like you watch traditional sports, but if you're on the go and you are, you know, you have your notifications for HQ set up, if something breaks, you're going to get a notification immediately that something has broken and HQ is going to go up within five minutes with an analyst talking about it. So when Tiger Woods had his accident this week, we were up on HQ within five minutes of that report becoming public, getting our sources ready on their end of things, doing like Zoom and and Skype and whatnot. And then we were on the air uh, on HQ, you know, for you digitally, no matter where you are, for probably like 45 minutes trying to keep people updated on what was going on. That's the one thing that's really cool about what CBS sports is doing with the HQ is that when stuff breaks, you're going to get it immediately and we're able to give it to you. We're not constrained by sponsors. We're not constrained by programming commitments. We're not constrained by anything. We are a 24 seven digital sports channel. When it breaks, we have it immediately. And usually we have it before anybody else uh, you know, can even get up there starting to talk about it. So that's one of the really cool things about HQ. Uh, pardon me for interruption. Oh, no worries. And I was going to say that that's a great thing you pointed out because I found is when I'm a consumer and I'm looking for updates, analysis and stories, or when I'm writing articles, I'm trying to find more information or say, okay, what's the specific analysis? Or when things go to press, it takes a little while. Claude Julien gets relieved of his duties the other day. Okay, you got to wait, you know, you you get the, the stories broken and then they fill in the information later, but you're not getting as much in-depth analysis until later the night or until Sportsnet or TSN here in Canada for the Canadians would compile the analysis they have from their insiders and then they would put it out. And while obviously there's lots of people that are racing to see how fast they can get it out, if the reports are accurate, then getting it out fast is is going to give you the edge and it's going to make, it's going to, increase the chances for somebody to want to subscribe or to consume content through that medium because, you know, people want to get stuff as fast as they can and as accurately as they can. So if it's all accurately, okay, now what's faster? Okay. CBS HQ. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to subscribe to them now. 
Yeah, and that's the thing that we have is we've noticed that our numbers year over year continue to just skyrocket as people become more and more aware of what we're doing and the fact that we're giving them their information as quickly as possible. I mean, really all we wait for, I mean, Matias, I mean, I'll be sitting in the newsroom and, you know, we have a news team and, you know, he'll say, hey, uh, we just we just saw on Twitter, Tiger Woods has been involved in a car accident. Uh, Jeremy, get ready because we're going to go up. We're probably going to go up. We're just going to await confirmation from one of our sources. They contact the, I mean, CBS Sports, I mean, they have sources everywhere so i mean they simply just make a phone call confirm it yeah okay it's confirmed kate we're going up in three minutes jeremy make your way down to the studio we're going up in three minutes so then it's a matter of you know being ready at that time to go up with as much information as possible to be able to provide that i mean there's a lot of pressure doing something like that it's not easy sometimes to go up within five minutes i mean it's not always tiger woods maybe it's a big baseball signing that nobody's been you know, keeping an eye on and all of a sudden, bam, now you've got this big baseball signing. You got five minutes to get yourself ready and know enough to kind of go up with an analyst and start asking him questions about, about this particular aspect of it. So that's one of the things is that, you know, as people become more aware of what we're doing at HQ, it's, you know, as I said, our numbers are going up, oh, you know, month by month by month. So it almost sounds like you're a firefighter, but in sports media where, News breaks. Okay, everyone, go, go, go. Get your jacket on and you just you go down to the studio and then you got to record right away. That's what, it, that's what it reminds me of. 100%. And that's a great analogy. I'm going to take that to work tomorrow. I'm doing HQ tomorrow. So I'm going to take that to work and say, hey, we're firefighters over here. Well, you're, you're, you're saving, saving the lives of sports fans from having to wait one more second than they would or maybe a few more hours or a few more minutes. So it's definitely an interesting way for them to approach putting out content for others. Now you mentioned being able to interview people from a, a very wide variety of sports. Who are some of the coolest people that you've interviewed in your time working at CBS or maybe even working at, at being sports? Oh, well, I mean, I, I had the chance to my time at Fox soccer report. I mean, I think one of the biggest interviews I've done in my career was with David Beckham. Um, when I was at Fox soccer report, I had the chance to interview him twice which was uh, phenomenal and just a fantastic, uh, fantastic guy. Um, I've talked to Ronaldinho. I've talked to Messi. When I was at BN, we had the chance to not only interview guys, but work with prominent uh, football people. I mean, I, you know, I shared a studio with Christian Vieri for a number of years. And, and you know, Bobo is, you know, somebody who I call as a personal friend. He's a great guy and uh, one of the greatest Italian scorers in the history of Serie A. I mean, I remember doing highlights of Vieri scoring goals and to be sitting across, I mean, I literally, the first couple of times when I had him on a show with me, I, I, I literally was looking at him and just like, how does this happen? How does this kid who's doing this show in Winnipeg that, you know, some people watched sitting across from one of the greatest Italian goal scorers of all time, just shooting the shit with them, you know, like that kind of thing. So and I mean, I, I had the chance to, I mean, I've talked to Tony Adams, worked with us, uh, Rude Hulett, uh, Luis Garcia is a guy who I see still with CBS. Uh, he's with us at CBS now. Um, oh, I mean, geez, if you have me run down the list, I've just had the opportunity to work with so many great guys. I did college football with BN Sports for, for three seasons. And in that time, I worked with Donovan McNabb. He was one of my, one of my guys, um, DJ Williams. Uh, I worked with Randall Hill. I worked with Kajana Carter. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I just I've had the opportunity to just interview so many people, and I, I you know, I've been lucky. I haven't really had a great, a bad experience. The only real, only real bad experience I had doing an interview was with Shaq. 
I mean, Shaq, you know, he's just so big, literally and figuratively that, you know, I think it was at the end of his day, he was a little bit tired. And so, you know, maybe he had had enough of some of the, some of the questions that people were firing at him, but um, you know, I've just had the chance to just interview some, you know, so many great, so many great people. And then also too, at CBS, you know, we've had the chance to, to talk to some really great uh, pros, former pros. And I mean, when you have the resources of CBS, when they call you, whether you're an athlete or not, they, you know, you pick up the phone and you, you know, you get on top of that. And so, yeah, I mean, I've just, yeah, I've had a lot of fortune in terms of being able to interview some really great people. I couldn't even believe half the people on that list. That's absolutely wild to think about. Yeah, some guy who grew up in Charleswood, right? I mean, you know, like here, here he is, right? Charleswood so. in Winnipeg. I mean, I remember an old high school teacher of mine at uh, St. Paul's, he referred to Charleswood as God's County. And I guess you could say that uh, the, the name will hold true for, for its residents uh, for the time being, especially considering even if the experience was okay with Shaq, like Shaq is still such an incredible figure in, in the media and in basketball or Messi. Like, okay. Does Messi speak English or, or did you just have the translator? Like that's, I've always been curious about that. I've never, no, I had a translator. I had a translator with me. One of the guys who actually worked with us on Fox soccer report, one of our production assistants was from Argentina and a great, great guy, Miguel. And he came over he came over to Barcelona with me. I, w- I was sent over to Barcelona and I, I talked to, I did a sit down with Ronaldinho and, and then, you know, we attended training the next day and Messi, we talked to Messi. We talked to Thierry Henry was there at the time. Frank Reichard was the manager. We managed to talk to him for a little bit. What year was it? Oh gosh. Where was that? 2009, maybe, maybe. Maybe 2000, or 2007, like, because Ronaldinho and Messi and Henri on the team, like, or may, maybe it was 09 too, like, because I just know Ronaldinho was, or that yeah, may, may have been like, before that. It may have been before that. I mean, my memory's kind of foggy about that, but yeah, it was, uh, it may have been 09 or 08. I can't remember, quite, can't quite remember, but all I remember was standing there again, looking at it, looking at Lionel Messi and just being like, how does this guy from Winnipeg? get to talk to one of the biggest superstars on the planet uh, in terms of world football and just sports in general. And, you know, that's happened to me a lot in my career. That's happened to me a lot. When I was doing the champions league final uh, in Madrid for Fox sports, you know, I was standing there and uh, somebody caught, somebody actually caught the moment. One of the photographers caught a moment and sent me, sent me the picture of it, but fans are filing in and I'm, I'm getting ready to do, sideline reporting uh, with Fox for that broadcast. It was the first ever broadcast that they did the Champions League on the weekend. And they aired it on Fox Sports, Big Fox, we called it. And I remember standing there just looking around, looking at the stadium and just kind of taking it all in just for a second. Because you're so nervous, you're so hyped up, you're so like, okay, I want to make sure I got this right, I got this right, I want to make sure I've done this properly. And then, you know, I just, you know, I just took a moment to just breathe for a second and just kind of take it all in and, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was just, you know, I, I've had a lot of those moments in my career where I'm just like, how does this kid from Winnipeg who grew up just, you know, like every other regular person get this opportunity to be here doing this? And I mean, I did it at Winnipeg Stadium when I was doing weather. I mean, I would literally have those moments at Winnipeg Stadium when I was doing that for the first time. I was like, how do, how am I at the Winnipeg Stadium during a CFL game? Because I love the CFL. And and, you know, I've had a lot of moments in my career where I've, I've been able to just take a moment and just be like, you are so lucky to be able to be here right now and do this. And that's why if my career ended tomorrow. I, I, I would have nothing to be sad about. I would have nothing to be sad about. I've had a career that, that many 
sports casters and young sports casters could only dream of. And I never dreamed it for myself, which was the amazing part about it. And, you know, I've just been so incredibly fortunate and I'm very, very thankful that I've had the opportunity to talk to, you know, Joe Blow to, to, you know, Lionel Messi. That's absolutely fantastic. And to even just sit there looking across the field and seeing Messi or Ronaldinho or Henri or even any one of those three, it doesn't even have to be all three together. It can just be one of those guys. And for any football fans anywhere, any age, would just be an absolute shock because they carry some of the, the most famous, famous lore about their style of play, who they are as a person, what they've done internationally, what they've done on the club level. It's just, it's just too, too crazy to think about. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't even know what I would do in that moment. If I was, you know, that young or like yourself, just sitting there like, even if you're towering over Messi, I know he's not that tall, but you're just like, oh, okay, like, hey. Well, and and I and I had the chance to do. I did uh, two classicos, and just, I mean, you're looking at Messi and Ronaldo in their prime, going head to head, and like, it, it just you can't. I I mean. It's like, it would be like watching Gretzky and Lemieux play each other. Like, really, I mean, it, it's literally like that. Like you're, you're sitting there. I remember sitting there and I was at field level and watching them. I think I have a video somewhere on my phone, but just the speed at which they operate. I mean, it just, you just can't capture it on television. The speed that those guys are able to just fast muscle twitch everything. And I mean, I had Cristiano right in front of me. I had Messi, you know, doing stuff in front of me. And I was just like, Oh my God, like, wow, I'm burn it in the brain, burn it in the brain, burn it in the brain. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. It was amazing. Well, Jeremy, we're getting towards the end of our time on today's episode. So I wanted to ask you a final question to wrap up before we go. So the final question I have for you is if there was one person that you could choose to interview from any era, any sport, whether they're living or whether they've passed away, who would it be and why? Well, you've got the shirt right behind you. It would be Sir Alex Ferguson. He's number one on my list of interviews that I want to try to do before the end of my career. I've talked to Charlie Stilitano is a good friend of Sir Alex. They're actually good friends. And Charlie's told me that at some point he would hook me up. He hasn't as of yet. Um, but I would love to talk to Sir Alex Ferguson, just what he was able to do with those Manchester United teams and the way that he managed not only tactics, but personalities and the, his, his, his view and the way that he was able to get everybody rowing the boat in the same direction. That last United team that won the title, they, they should not have won the title. They should not. They were not the most talented team in the Premier League. That was Manchester City. Manchester City lost the title that year. United ended up getting it. But, you know, I often say this, that United didn't win the title. City lost the title. And but the way that Fergie was able to get those guys just going in, in one direction. I mean, I've, I've read all kinds of stuff about him and just the type of person that he is and the type of style that he has. And I would just love to pick his brain about, you know, what was that like when you came in and you were so close to being fired and then it turns around and then you win the treble and then you're, you know, you're just dominating the Premier League. You are, you know, knocking Liverpool off their perch as you said you wanted to do like, just what was all of that like? And yeah, I mean, I hope he's around for a long time because I've still got a few years left. I, I still hope I get the chance to talk to him, but 
for me, it would be Sir Alex Ferguson. I would just love to sit down with him and have a half an hour of his time. And I'd probably get maybe one or two questions in before just fanboying right out. Um, but yeah, he's the guy that I would want to talk to. Well, they don't call him Sir Alex Ferguson for just any old reason. He is truly one of the classiest, most well-respected. People could argue he's like the greatest club coach ever or one of the greatest coaches ever without a doubt you know there's the obviously the pep guardiolas who have built a reputation there's the carlo ancelotti's of the world but sir alex ferguson is just almost in a class of his own i i didn't even actually expect that answer but i have to say that now that you said it i would definitely concur because the knowledge and the stories and the personalities and everything that he's done people he's met he, he would have to write 20 books in order for people to even get maybe a fraction of all the, all the different things that he's experienced over his time coaching and playing football. And he, and he is a true uh, gentleman. I mean, everybody that I've spoken to that has had the chance to talk to him raves about just the fact that he's a true gentleman. Uh, Kay Murray, who I used to work with at BN sports, who, who's had the chance to talk to him a number of times. Um, she worked for Real Madrid TV and she also worked, you know, in the Premier League for a little bit. Um, you know, she, she couldn't speak highly enough of him. And, and the, the thing about Sir Alex is, is once he, once she knows your name, he never forgets your name. He'll never forget your name. If you get introduced to him, you could see him five years down the road and he'll know your name. He'll, he'll remember who you are. That's the, that's the kind of guy he is. And I've heard that he's just a, you know, on top of being just a great football man, he's also a true, uh, you know, a true, a true gentleman. And as I said, yeah, I hope I get the chance to talk to him. Well, Jeremy, that's, it's been a fantastic time being able to talk football, working on television and sports media with you. I've just had an absolute blast. I, I really appreciate the time you've had to be with, to be with me on today's episode. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, Matias. Thank you very much for having me. And, you know, anytime, anytime you need me, I'm, uh, I'm available for you. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode with anchor for CBS Sports HQ, Jeremy St. Louis. First and goal from the one. This is it, Stiegel! Touchdown, Matt Stiegel! Touchdown, Regal! 138, and he's the all-time Canadian Football League touchdown king! Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore mb. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time. Eating healthy is a common goal that people strive for, but it can be tough when life gets very busy. Being able to eat healthy on the go is becoming more and more important. That's why I'm here today to tell you about G2G Protein Bars, the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It is all natural and made with fresh ingredients like homemade, but better. G2G bars contain 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, you'll be sure to enjoy many of the great tastes that G2G bars have to offer. They are fresh, healthy, and delicious. Get yours today at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer. G2G Bars. You will taste the difference.